Hey, welcome to Win the Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. Welcome into another episode of the podcast. Uh, what's happening out there? Uh, I guess some of you will be going about lives pretty norm- normally, perhaps, especially if you're in some parts of New Zealand, which, uh, which are doing pretty well under the COVID situation. Um, others of you, maybe depending on where you are in the world, will be experiencing various forms of limitation or, or maybe mostly living still inside your house. Uh, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in at the moment, thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I I do kind of wonder how we're all doing, you know, and and I don't even know what the answer to that question is. I feel like I'm 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 lots of things at once this year, and I particularly think of you know uh, our friends and my friends in particular in the US at the moment, and I just kind of struggle to even fathom how things have been unfolding um, in North America this year. So if you're listening from there, much love to you. We're thinking of you. Um, gosh, it seems to be just one thing after another, and it's a lot to hold and a lot to live through and experience and navigate and kind of figure out how you feel about that um, or even just how to kind of how to find some way to hold some peace in the midst of all of it. So, um, yes, you are in our thoughts. And, uh, and of course, the whole world is experiencing just such an unusual and difficult time. So... Um, yeah, and, and there's no kind of, there's no solving it, right? There's no immediate quick fix, snap your fingers, if only we just did this, everything would be immediately better. You know, we are we are living in the midst of a complex time. And, uh, and we're continuing to talk, you know, about about meaning, about life, about theology, about God, and, and, and on this podcast, you know, wrestling with some of these big issues because they do matter to us, even in times of crisis, and perhaps especially at times of crisis. And if you've been listening in to, to what has turned out to be a somewhat sporadic year of the Initiative podcast, uh, unintentionally, of course, you, you'll know we've been wrestling with questions around divine intervention and been and been doing so for a couple of reasons. For one thing, um, some of the main ways people think about God um, don't set us up particularly well, perhaps don't actually make much sense when it comes to thinking about how God might or might not interact with the world. And sometimes we don't see this until a big crisis hits, right? Especially one maybe that touches us personally. And perhaps what's so unique about this time at the moment is that um, there's a crisis that's touching us personally, but also globally. And and so we're kind of all in the midst of this. And I think if we're willing to ask difficult questions, perhaps we, you know, we find ourselves thinking, surely this, surely this kind of framework that I've that maybe we're handed by our various traditions can't be right. You know, surely we can't, for example, have a God who can just jump on and intervene in the world whenever they want, and yet seemingly fail to do so. Right in the most desperate of our circumstances. I mean, if if God was like that, then surely this year would have been a good time to jump in and fix things up a bit. You know, so we've been trying to navigate some ways of thinking about God in this in the series for the podcast this year, and not not just coming up. You know, what's some nice ideas about God that'll make us feel better, but actually substantive ways of thinking, uh, thinking philosophically and theologically, engaging with the Christian tradition and Christian texts and so on, and trying to figure out how to think about God's relationship to the world in a way that might help us, not not necessarily to have everything figured out and pinned down and uh, and sorted out to the fine details and all of our questions answered so that we can go on now with total certainty. But actually just just trying to navigate this conversation in a way that helps us to make sense of our reality as we experience it, to whatever degree we're able to do that. And some things we we simply can't make sense of, some of the experiences we have. 
uh, don't make sense to us. So, so we can't solve all of that, but perhaps we can find some ways of thinking about God at least that, um, that do actually meet us in the reality of our real lived experience rather than some just abstract set of beliefs that we have to then kind of try and squash our experience into to make it fit. And so one of the things in particular we've been exploring this year is this idea of panentheism, you know, that, that this idea that God is not outside the system acting on us or the world like some kind of outside force or being, but is actually in and, and through all things, you know, in which case we don't observe God's action in the way that we might if God was, a, was an old man sticking his finger through the clouds and, I don't know, zapping us with some magic Jesus potions to make everything better, you know. Um, rather than that kind of God who who acts on us like another being from outside the system. Instead, we're trying, to, we're trying to think through this idea that God is in fact in and through all things. And even looking at the idea that if God's nature is truly love, uh, which is one of the suggestions of the, of the Christian tradition as well as some other religious traditions also, then perhaps that love is uncontrolling. We talked about that with, with Tom Ord uh, earlier in the year. Um, that that love, you know, is is by its very nature when it's when it's true, is, is not able to control other people or other things, and so it's not just that God has decided, you know, not to get overly involved, but perhaps God's very nature is that which means God can't just jump in and make us do things, and perhaps can't just jump in and make anything happen at all by God's self, without some kind of participation, collaboration, and so on, with reality itself including us. So these are the kinds of things we've been exploring. And you know, it's 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 hard when we when we come up against notions of God that that feel a little bit all or nothing. You know, we've got these ideas about God and sometimes we're like, well if those you know, if those don't make sense anymore, then God doesn't make sense. And so then we're left kind of not really knowing what to do with all of that. So what I'm trying to do here is help us, and it is hard work in some respects, to reimagine and rethink our ideas about God in ways that make sense of what we now know about the world in the 21st century, of what we know about humanness and our experience and of science and the cosmos, but also that make sense of this, of this faith experience that so many people in the world seem to have, which is this idea that there is something more going on here still. There is something that connects us that is meaningful, that draws us into a place of, of um, what we might call the divine, right? Of, of, of being in touch or in tune or in connection with uh, what we often call God. And so I'm trying to straddle that conversation and find some helpful ways of thinking about God in the midst of that. And, um, and so these, you know, these are the kinds of things we've been exploring and, um, and what I want to do in this episode is touch on two things in particular that come out of that whole conversation, tying in some of the things we've been exploring along the way and seeing what they might mean for us for how we think about and relate to God and and our own lives and what we're up to. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about whether or not God is in control and we're going to talk about whether or not God knows the future. So this is episode 37 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Okay, so I feel like these two things, this, this question, is God in control? And then does God know the future? 
Does God know everything about what's going to happen? These, these two questions have come up a lot during the COVID pandemic this year. And they've come up a lot because people have used these ideas in many respects to find ways to calm themselves, to help them deal with the uncertainty, with the fear, the anxiety, the sense of unknownness about what's happening and, and where we're heading. And so these, you know, these two kind of statements come have come up a lot in the Christian world that I've seen uh, people, uh, I guess, hanging on to as a way to try and make sense and, and feel safe. And so the first is this idea, yes, God is in control, and this is all, therefore, a part of God's plan. And the second is, is very connected to this, which is, you know, God wasn't surprised by this. God knew this was coming, and God knows what's next, and so you'll be okay, right? These, these two ideas kind of sit very much closely together, and they both, um, you know, I want to speak to both of these because I, they're t- entirely understandable, and in fact, they really serve us. They have, a, you know, all beliefs function. In other words, it it does something for us. Um, and so I want to touch on that, but then also suggest why they might be actually unsatisfactory. And maybe there's some other ways of thinking about these ideas. So why are they understandable? You know, again, for two main reasons. Firstly, this is how most people think about God. Uh, in fact, by very definition, this is the way most people think about God. To be God is to be in control, to be all-powerful, and to know everything, including the future and everything that will happen one day. Um, and, and these ideas about the divine really do flow down to us from some ways of reading, for example, the biblical text and the Christian tradition, and then also the Greek philosophical tradition. Uh, and so that flows into the Western Christianity kind of framework you know, the three O words, for example, that God is all-powerful, omnipotent, that God is all-present, omnipresent, and that God is all-knowing, omniscient. And these three O words, omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, these are many of the ways people think about what it even means to say the word God, right? This is, this is what it means to talk about God. Surely if there's a God, by very definition, this God must be everywhere, know everything, and be able to do anything, but in this episode, I'm going to, I guess, agree with the first one, the uh, the omnipresence, the God must, the God is everywhere thing. But I'm going to raise some questions about the other two and see where that goes. And I'm aware that as we do this, because of how these beliefs function, because these ideas um, are comforting to us in many respects, it can be unsettling to to pick at them, to to poke and prod at those beliefs and to try and ask some questions of them and see if there's some alternative ways of thinking about this. And so I'm mindful of that, and you might feel that as we have this conversation, depending on the way you see God at the moment. Uh, but bear with me and hold on, and let's see how we go. So let's start with this idea that God is in control, because ultimately God is all-powerful. And if we've got this kind of idea in mind, right, that God is in control and God is all-powerful, that means, in, in general terms, even though there's all sorts of sort of variations on the way this plays out within Christian theology in particular, it generally means that the God is kind of allowing all of this stuff to happen, right? Either directly causing it or simply allowing it to unfold as part of some greater plan. So the causing it, you know, it tends, tends to set God up as a bit of an arbitrary monster in, in many respects who simply makes these things happen on purpose because it's all part of what God is trying to do, maybe teach us a lesson or judgment or whatever it might be. And I'm very uncomfortable about those ideas of God. And then there's this idea that God allows all of this stuff 
to happen because God's working out this plan that we can't understand. God's, you know, so we get sort of cliched verses rolled out like God's ways are higher than your ways and God's plans higher than your plans. And, and so God has got these mysterious purposes at work that we just can't see or understand right now. And, and so don't worry, right? This feels deeply reassuring. Don't worry. Sure, things might not be going well. Things might be terrible, but it's all part of God's larger mysterious plan. And if we just trust God, we just need to go through this to see the unplanned fold, the plan unfold for the for the greater good, right? And so ultimately, God is taking us somewhere better. And so you even hear this come into a lot of contemporary Christian preaching, which is the you know the kind of the ideas around breakthrough, or you might be going through this time of trial right now, but you're going through this so that you'll be you know you'll come out stronger, and God planned this for you so that you would be tested. And then you'd come out and you'd be amazing uh, and you'd be able to take on everything and you'll have a great testimony or you'll go around the world and tell people about your trials and suffering and how you came through. Um, and so we have this, this sense of, yes, there's a, there's a plan and play here. And so I can feel reassured that even if things are really hard right now, God is in control. God's kind of managing this whole situation. Um, and so that's okay, right? That's, that's the kind of reassuring sense that it gives. And I totally get that because I used to think that. <laughs> and I know what meaning that helped for me. The, the problem comes along when, when we really start to probe a little further as to what that means and what that plan starts to look like. And, you know, sometimes we use analogies like, oh, you know, we discipline our children and they don't like it at the time, but it's actually for their best. But, you know, there are only so far, there's only so far that that analogy can go. You know, yes, I might um, not let my child uh, run on the road or watch TV all day because it's not good for them. And they might experience that as, you know, suffering, you know, the crying because they can't watch, um, I don't know, The Wiggles again, which is my current <laughs> reality uh, with a one-and-a-half-year-old. And and so, you know, that analogy kind of works to, to maybe a small degree. You know, oh, God, I really wanted a, a new house, but I can't get one, and maybe maybe that's because I'm being taught a lesson or learning patience. But it really doesn't work once we start encountering real suffering. You know, once we start talking about cancer, once we start talking about COVID-19, you know, is it really reassuring to say that we don't have to worry because God is just working out a master plan that involves hundreds of thousands of people dying in 2020 from a, a new virus and millions of people suffering all around the world? I mean, what kind of what kind of plan is that? And if that's the plan, then what kind of, God is that? You know, these are questions that we've been asking along the way in this series. So what if we were able instead to open up to the idea that God is in fact not always in control of everything, that things don't all happen according to some big supreme divine will and plan that is imposed upon all of us and upon all of reality and the whole cosmos? What if instead God is loving and present in and through all things? And all of reality, including us, can respond to that loving divine presence in a range of ways. Which means all sorts of responses are possible. All sorts of outcomes are possible. Now, that's a different way of thinking about God and of thinking about our um, engagement with God and our engagement in, in life in the world. It doesn't allow us to say, well, God is in control and it's all part of a master plan but it does allow us to think about life and God differently in a way, and in a way, I think, that perhaps makes it a bit more sense of the kind of experience that we have of life. 
Now, as I say, immediately some people are going to freak out at this idea. If God isn't in control of everything, then how do I know that it'll all be okay? You know, you're, you're essentially pulling the rug out from under my feet, that sense of reassurance that life is going to be okay. But maybe that kind of concern is okay. Because maybe this idea that God is in control of everything and it's all going to be okay is in some respects a, a denial of the reality we actually live in, in which things are already actually not okay. And I don't think trying to avoid that is actually all that helpful in the long run. Now, I'm not saying that God has no influence on the world and there's no hope, right? I'm not saying that. We'll get on, And we'll get on to the idea of the future in a moment. But what I'm suggesting and, and, and what's come up a few times as we've been navigating our way through the, the last few episodes is that God's kind of power, God's kind of godness, in other words, you know, what we mean when we say God, maybe it isn't defined by a power that dictates everything that happens. And instead, maybe what we're offered, even in looking, you know, in the, in the Christian tradition, right, looking at something like the Jesus story and the ideas of God that flow out of that story, is that love is what is seen as being most true and most real and even, we might say, most powerful. But this kind of power is not, is not power over others to exert change on them through force, but actually it's, it's more like in our relationships with each other, love right, is powerful uh, in the sense that it is the most deeply meaningful thing that we have. It's the driving force behind so much of how we act and live the way that we do. It is potent and powerful, but it's not, necess- it's not power over. You know, love is not the power of control. So we could say nuclear bombs, for example, are very powerful. But to say that God is more powerful than a nuclear bomb is the wrong kind of comparison in, in, in my thinking. It's the wrong kind of power we're talking about. And so perhaps we shouldn't say that God is more destructive and more powerful or capable of being more destructive than a nuclear bomb because actually that would be to use our very dominating definitions of power to define God. There is a, a Russian sort of existential philosopher and theologian from the late 19th, early 20th century who who says this? He says the imagining of oneself to oneself of God as the administrator of the world order, as a monarch, as a ruling power. This is a distorted human conception about God, clearly taken from the social relationships of people. To God is not applicable the category of a ruling power, since it is too lowly a category for God, and it is taken from the lower spheres of social life. God has no sort of ruling power. He has less power than a policeman. Um, this idea that ruling power is a category too lowly for, for God, I, I think is a very helpful and interesting idea. Um, elsewhere, uh, Budaev says, the rule of authority is a domination of man over man, inevitably passing over into violence and coercion. But spirit does not know of being the master. Spirit is freedom. So there's this invitation to see God's kind of power, if we're going to use that language, as not ruling and controlling power, but as the power of freedom and love. And so perhaps I do want to say that God is all-powerful, perhaps, but not using our definitions of power, right? God is all-powerful in that God is all-loving and love is the most powerful thing there is. And love is ultimately the thing that we hope 
and believe will win in the end. And, you know, this was the belief of some of the early Christians who who looked at the violent oppression of the all-powerful Roman Empire, right, and yet were able to say that they followed a Jesus who was more powerful than the power of the Roman Empire. And it wasn't because he commanded armies. It wasn't because he could wipe out countries. It was because he was willing to deny the path of violence, take up a different mode of being that was in tune with God and the path of love and of self-giving. Now, perhaps this all sounds, I don't know, nice and fluffy or maybe unsettling. I'm not sure what your response to these ideas might be. But what does all this mean? What what could it mean for how we are to actually engage in the world? And I wonder if for one thing, like I say, although seeing God as all-powerful with this masterful and mysterious plan might be comforting on one level, it also implicates God in a tremendous amount of suffering and pain. And, And it can also, at the same time, sort of dampen our own sense of need to take action, to act on behalf of those who need it. And, you know, I I look at the moment, for example, in 2020 and think of the Christians currently refusing to wear masks during a pandemic because they say that God will protect them. And this is all part of God's plan and we're not going to give in to the totalitarian state. And yet in taking this course of action, right, or inaction, as the case may be, they're actually endangering the health and the very lives of those who they love and care about and who are vulnerable. But if God is not some superhuman deity, you know, with infinite strength, like just a real beefed up Thor figure, but is actually instead the uncontrolling but persuasive divine love, then we're invited, we're challenged, we're asked to enter into the world, to take what action we actually can for one another, to participate and collaborate with the divine and with each other in a commitment towards the sense of flourishing of our communities and of societies and even of the planet itself in our, in our cosmos, right? And so just as that's true in, in relation to something like COVID-19, it's also perhaps true in relation to something like the climate change emergency that we're facing right now in the world. And again, so many Christians, because God is in control and God is all-powerful and God has this amazing plan, just don't spend any energy or time taking climate change seriously because God's got this, you know? That kind of phrase, God's got this, and and God is in control, and so don't worry about it. And yet what that leads to is is inaction at, at sort of best, and at worst, a continuing of, in fact, um, action that damages in, uh, the, the environment and hastens climate change, which is genuinely leading already and will continue to lead to human suffering and the suffering of, of creation. You know, right now there are wildfires up the west coast of North America which are just devastating to see unfold and extreme high temperatures. And, and in many senses, this is just a, a taste of the future that we are creating and that uh, in many respects Christians have been a big part of, of resisting the kind of action that's necessary because of some kind of belief that it's all part of God's plan and we don't have to worry about it. Instead, no, if God is, is uncontrolling but persuasive love, then how do we participate with that in the way that we live in the world? And how does that impact on how we might think about responding to the climate emergency so that we can actually take care of one another and the planet we live on, right? So this has real kind of life, real world consequences in terms of the way that we actually act and live in the world with each other. Okay, so that's dealing with this idea of God is all powerful and in control with a master plan. And I also want to touch on this idea, as I said, of, of God and the future. You know, So core to many traditional kind of classical ideas about God is that God knows everything that will happen, right? God is omniscient. 
And that includes everything that will, that includes everything in the past, everything in the present, and everything that will happen in the future. And this means that the people are able to say, well, God is not surprised by COVID-19. You know, I've seen that phrase quite a lot in the Christian world. God fully anticipated that COVID-19 would be here and is not worried about it, and so neither should you be. And so that gives us, again, a feeling of security and reassurance, stability. But there, again, a few problems with this. <laughs> uh, I guess, one, if we've got this kind of framework where God speaks to people, which is what many Christians believe. You know, lots of people had wonderful sort of words from God for the year 2020. And yet, I don't know any of them that were, yes, there's going to be a global pandemic virus that God knows about and you should be prepared for it. Um, and so there's some problems just right off the bat with, with what that means to say that God knows all of these things that are going to happen. And then if we look at the portrayals of God actually in the, in the Christian scripture itself, right, they don't actually really seem to promote a view of God who knows all things about the future and is never surprised by anything. Actually, in the stories of scripture, God experiences regret and surprise and shock and sometimes disappointment or feelings of betrayal um, or joy. And, you know, again, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I don't think the Bible is is the last thing to say about God, or even that all portrayals of God in the Bible are accurate. But at least this tells us that the idea that God might not always know all aspects of the future is actually not that far from many of the ways the Bible describes God's interaction with the world. And so, you know, if 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 the biblical stories are able to portray and tell the story of a God who is disappointed in action or and in the violence of humankind or who is feeling regret or sadness or whatever those other whatever those kind of feelings and, and experiences that are kind of relational ideas. If God experiences that, then perhaps God isn't just sitting there just watching the script roll out, just watching the plan unfold, going, oh yeah, knew that was coming, knew that was coming, knew that was coming, of course, and then it'll be this and this and this. Well, then all of that language of God's genuine relational responses to us would be kind of a fiction and actually wouldn't make much sense. And, you know, this ties into the second thought here, that if, if we do truly believe God to be relational, whatever, whatever that means, and I think there's still, you know, some, some space to work out what we even mean by that. But, you know, if God, is, if, if God knows everything that's going to happen, then God is unable to be genuinely surprised by any interactions with creation or with creatures like us. But surprise, and I don't know if you've thought about it like this, but surprise is central to genuine relationship, you know. Um, that's how we can actually respond to one another dynamically in ways that are meaningful and not just kind of play-acting a script that we already have read to the end of. And so if there's anything to be said about meaningful relationship with anyone, including the divine, including God, then I don't think a fully and precisely laid out future can actually really be a part of how we think about um, God and God's knowledge. Now, the, the sort of the theological term for this idea of an open future is called open theism. This, God, this, this idea that, that God, in fact, is not controlling everything that happens and neither is the future set, but in fact the future is open. And even um, many aspects of the future are unknown to, even to God. Right, and so what could we say with this? And again, I'm aware that that might mean, but then, but then, what does that mean? What does does that mean? Things might go badly. Does that mean God's not going to be able to fix it all up? 
Well, I mean, these are big questions, aren't they? But I think that God, I think we can conceive of, of, of a God who works within and throughout the universe with the influence and persuasion of love and divine presence to bring about ultimately the sense of purpose of wholeness and of love and reconciliation. And that if love is truly the most powerful thing ultimately in the world, then in the end, that kind of love can win out and bring about wholeness and love and reconciliation. But that doesn't imply that God knows every detail about what will happen and how that will play out. And I think, again, similar to the last point, this invites us to genuinely kind of engage in the world, to perceive that we might actually be able to change the future, that we could actually help contribute toward the transformation of things. You know, if God already knows the future, then the future is set like a script. It's predetermined. And yet if the future is open, we can actually become participants in shaping it. We can, uh, we can you know, trust in the enduring strength of a, of a God who is love and who is present in all, and in through all things to ultimately be moving all of reality toward wholeness and hope. But we can also participate in what that actually looks like here and now and into the future. And so in both of these, uh, in relation to both of these questions, I think the invitation here is more participation, collaboration. It's not just throwing our hands up and saying, well, God knows what God is doing. And so I guess we just sort of trust that and that'll make me feel better for a while. We have to acknowledge frailty and suffering and pain and struggle as our reality, as at least a part of our reality, and yet see that God might be at work within all of reality, calling us forward into a more loving and whole way of being. And let's join in with that. Let's participate in that. Let's collaborate with that and with each other. And, you know, this doesn't, again, this doesn't nail down everything answer every question, pin down all the details. But I think it does help us to negotiate a, a way forward without laying sort of the blame, if you like, or the responsibility for all suffering at the feet of God. In fact, we are asked to sort of join in with uh, what you know Jesus called the process of making all things new. Now, speaking of Jesus... We're actually going to get on to the subject of Jesus in the next couple of episodes of In the Shift. Uh, and in particular, how we might start to make sense of the Jesus story in light of all of these kinds of things we've been saying. Because often when people think about Jesus, they think about sort of this God um, up in heaven, perhaps, who's sort of three in one uh, and then and decides to sort of come down to earth in the form of a, a human, Jesus, and that whole framework is very much this kind of God outside the system then jumping into the story in Jesus. But if we're thinking about panentheism, if we're thinking about this God who is in and through all things, then, then what does it mean to talk about Jesus? Is God present in, in Jesus? Um, and what does that mean? And Is Jesus divine or what does that mean or not? And what do we do with all of the miracles and all of this seeming kind of action? Uh, so we're going to be tackling a bunch of that on the next episode or two of In The Shift. Uh, I'm going to have some guests joining me to have some of those conversations. So I'm looking forward to that. Of course, thanks again to Rhys Machel of taking these recordings of my voice and, and doing things to make it sound listenable for your ears. Um, that's all for this episode of In The Shift. Until next time.